With just about the same amount of businesses being formed and dissolved every year, you need to make sure that you're on the winning side. In this podcast, we interview market leaders from global businesses that share their knowledge so that you get on the right path to success. This is the Black Box Business Podcast, and I am your host, Porik Canavan. Hello and welcome to the inaugural Black Box Business Podcast. I am your host, Pori Canavan, and today we get to sit down with one of the biggest disruptors in the access control industry, the MD CEO of AES Global, Mr. Paul Crichton. During our interview today, I had the pleasure of talking through what Paul perceives as leadership. It was a fascinating insight one that I hope you will enjoy. I believe that it is key to any young entrepreneur out there who wants to take this journey. So please sit back and enjoy. And without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hello and good morning. Um, Welcome to the inaugural Black Box uh, Business Podcast. My name is Pori Canavan and I will be your host today. And kindly joining us is the CEO, MD of AES Global, Mr. Paul Crichton. So thank you very much, Paul. Um, thank you for having us, Park. Appreciate being here. No problem. And um, as usual, your hospitality is exemplary. Thank you. And um, nice to meet Kyle and some of the team this morning. Yep. Um, would you like to tell our audience a little bit about you and your background, please? Yeah, um, so I guess my background and an early passion for me from like childhood, we're going back, is uh, tinkering with stuff, electronics and stuff. So there wasn't a toy I got from like eight years old that worked after two months because, you know, I took this stuff apart, you know, Frankenstein it with something else and tried to put it together. So I, I think from an early age, I knew I was going to be something around the engineering side of sure. Of things or something electronic. There was early, I wouldn't say talent, but early <laughs> curiosity for sure. Sure. So bits ended up at the other end of the universe. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Why intercoms, Paul? Um, well, I suppose it's an interesting story. Um, I actually, with my electronics, you know, college and things like that, went to work for companies, telecoms giant, like Nortel Networks, telecoms giant back in the day. Um, so I got into the electronics sector, but as we all know, sort of through the 80, late 80s, 90s, stuff like that, a lot of your manufacturing went to the Far East. Um, so I got a little bit perplexed with shutdown, factory after shutdown. You know, I was moving jobs and going from one closing down manufacturer to the next. Okay. And I thought to myself, well, what can you not outsource to the Far East? And you can't outsource service. You still need local service. Okay. So the closest thing that I could uh, imagine to my closest to my skill set was like CCTV and gate automation and access control. Mm-hmm. So I just started to self learn how to do this sort of stuff. You know, spare bedroom was the, the as, first as office. As an installer, initially. yeah, as yeah. as an installer on the tools. So I was like man in a van out there fitting product um, and learning the industry from from the ground up. Um, okay. and I guess it was from my field experience of doing that hands on the job where I was finding a lot of difficulties, especially around lack of wireless solutions in the market, okay. where I had a customer who wanted an intercom at a gate that a lovely tarmac driveway and they wanted a monitor in their hallway. And 
this lovely tarmac and there's this 40 quid a roll wallpaper or 100 quid a roll stuff that okay. like you know you're not tracking this sure. and I'm you know to be fair I wasn't that fond of a business end of a shovel either so um, <laughs> well we can all be allergic to that at times but. So, so I guess I developed a curiosity what's out there in the market and I didn't find much and I thought that there's got to be opportunities here to create product there was a clear void for me at that time what year are we talking approximately a decade um, 2007 stuff like that or 2005 sort of in round. So in the business terms that would be quite recent yeah yeah I suppose okay. yeah yeah okay um, your journey now with a global reach and you know quite a lot of branches globally do you want to expand on that a little bit and talk us through that potentially stressful time in your life to get you to where you are now um, yeah. Can you help us with that and just talk yep. a little bit about your journey with AES? Sure. So I, I, I guess, you know, the, the challenges around growth are similar for all businesses, big, small or medium. Um, it's getting from zero to hero as quick as possible. You know, you want to do it fast, but you've only so many hours in the week. I can remember um, as, as a one you know, as a one man band, as it were, um, you know, AES had just one employee, just me and having to do other jobs like uh, teaching martial arts and stuff which is a passion of mine and I was off doing that like on a Wednesday for example teaching in schools and then seeing my phone ring in the corner so I did like a quick demo here you go here's a technique and then hello AS tech support how can I help and then okay folks you know let's do the next technique and stuff so you, you know I get it um, when you have, you're in business out there and you're doing everything you're trying to get your money in accounts payable all that stuff and then to start to then grow that into other countries. Um, stress, uh, yes, there's be stress at times, but for me, it was more fun than stress, more uh, exciting challenges, all that sort of stuff. Not without its sleepless nights and big hours and big effort. Um, I think probably first two years, it was seven days a week, solid for first two years, no question about it. Um, answered calls on the day my first child was born, you know, in the hospital and stuff, but we all know we've all had to do it. Um, so it, it's a theme for sure, you know. Mm -hmm. I think one thing I would say to everyone is um, we all have to take some downtime. Uh, you and I talked about hobbies earlier. Sure. Um, where you like going out on the bike. I like, like quad biking with my kids and stuff because you're ultra focused on that moment, that one hour or whatever it is. Every part of your brain is just focused on that really fun activity which stops you thinking about work. So I think we all have that thing where you as soon as you open your eyes in the morning time, it's game on. The music's playing, as you said, and the music doesn't stop till you close them at night. So you need those like respite periods where you change the track to something else. It's a different song playing, and you focus on that, and this is your thing. You've got to make yourself do that. I won't lie. I've been times in the past where I've had burnout where I've just done too much, and I've just been like wiped out, like nine hours sleep a night just didn't cut it for like weeks and stuff. And you go on a holiday, and you feel okay for a while, but then it comes back. So... I think it's like a daily maintenance thing. You need to actually, you know, have time for you. I use a nice little metaphor sometimes as well um, when someone's feeling stressed. Is like, you know, when you're in, getting on a plane and they do the safety brief and they, you know, what do they tell you about the oxygen masks when they come down? They say, put your own mask on before you help someone else. So you're no good, no good to your employees, your, your, your family, your kids. If you haven't put your own mask on first, taking care of you, and then you can help other people with with all of their problems. Um, so you'll get all this stuff coming, you know, your employees coming with their issues, with personal problems. It all comes to you as the, the business owner or the you know, top person, but I use that phrase lightly. Um, 
and you need to realise that you need something as well. We have a bit of a mutual admiration society going on. Um, well, it, it, I'm definitely biased towards AES. Um, you know, we would have been one of this, and still are a small independent distributor of your product, and that's probably obviously where we first engaged with each other. Um, and I really admire your team and, and, and how you've put together a family spirit here. Yeah. Um, obviously, it comes from your own personal leadership and how you set out your stall. Yeah. Do you want to expand on that, or would you would you have any thoughts for our listeners on that? And yeah, I mean, what kind of philosophy are you? I mean, I think all of us. I think I think all of us in business, um, you know, whether it be us, you, um, our, our our customers out there, all of us are, are you know having employment as a consideration. You've you've got people working for you, and you've got turnover of staff issues. You've got disciplinary stuff. We all have the same problems, no matter what level we're at. It's it's similar. I always took the view that I didn't really want people to work for me. I wanted them to work for themselves. Or with you. Yep. Um, so they should be masters of their own destiny to a certain extent. So from day one, we did like a monthly profit share where a percentage of company profits every month is split between the staff. Okay. Um, to try and get that feeling of this is our success, our company, not, not, not the Paul show. Yep. Um, so I think the most important thing is, is, is to assemble the team then they will, they will build the business and look after the customers. I can't look after every customer as hard as I try. Yeah. Sometimes, like I look and go, you know, I haven't spoken to this person Paul, in you're a year in 27 and countries yeah. currently and growing, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, that's it's delegation is, it's is, difficult. is an art form. It's difficult. I think recruitment's an important thing as well. So, we don't hire for skills anymore, we hire for heart. Okay. So, what is in someone's soul? What do they believe? What hill is this person on? What's their background? You know, what's important to them? What's what's in their very fabric of this person's being, and does it fit with the company culture? You know, are they a, a giver, a team player? They want to, you know, think about their colleagues more than themselves. All this sort of stuff is really, really important because that translates to customers then as well. Mm -hmm. If someone's a giver and they're thinking, I really want to help my customer, sure. not just sell them product. It's it's a it's a great um, you know on a modern thinking approach. I, I think it ties into the the t-shirt slogan that we spoke about yeah, earlier: "Givers yeah. get given and yeah. takers get taken out." Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you're a bit of a disruptor. Okay, uh, I think that's a compliment for sure. So thank you. <laughs> yes, coming from yes, it's coming from the right place. Yeah. Um, a lot of eyes in the industry are on AES. Yeah. Uh, y you know, again, not to blow smoke, but. Mm -hmm. You've achieved quite a lot uh, in a relatively small period of time, and you've taken on some of the giants of the industry, guys who have had their feet under the table for decades, um, as opposed to, can we say, 10, 12 years? Ten, 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 10 years for this company and Stoller for maybe five years before that. So yeah, we'll say 10. Okay. And um, from my pr perspective, as a result, there's a lot of myths going on about AES. Mm -hmm. um, what, what would you think are the common myths associated about you and what you do? I guess whenever maybe people see a company logo or hear of a company or a brand name, they're thinking big, massive corporation and a load of guys sitting around in pinstripe suits, you know, Mr. Burns character instead of... Bean counting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but well, 
we would like people to to realize is that we're we're just get, we're just people. We're just ordinary guys. I'm, I'm I was a midstream student at school, just with big ideas and dreams. I'm I'm not anything special. I'm not any smarter than the next person. I have an absolutely amazing team, but they're all really really good human beings and hard workers and just trying to make something of themselves. So like we we really like people to see the human side of the business if we can. And maybe a common myth might be that you know we just kind of landed from space somehow and here we are but actually I did start out as an installer on the tools I've been up and down ladders crawling through mouse droppings and people's roof spaces to fit mm -hmm. cameras and stuff and make no complaints about it that was great fun mm -hmm. most of the time um, so my while drilling 40 pounds yeah, of yeah. Wall, wallpaper with it yeah <laughs> um, so and and I suppose when you think about product development and where the ideas come from um, they're very much installer driven ideas from from my past and my history sure and knowing what what feels good to work with on site and what 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 homeowners want as well because okay. you know I've worked with the homeowners directly and homeowners like people would say maybe about our look of our products you know nice aesthetics um, and installers sometimes wouldn't necessarily care too much about that. This, like, how, how much can I pay for this product? Will it give me any issues? What's the backup service and what can I sell it for? But actually the homeowner has a slightly different perspective. You know, this is the front of their property, nice ornate gates. They've spent thousands of pounds in these lovely big stone piers and stuff. And then you just don't want like a metal box just sure, shoved on the front. aesthetic driven. This is the entrance to your pride and joy. And you have a homeowner who's put their life and soul into this house, this is their life's work. Mm -hmm. So I get that because uh, I've been there where people have said, "Have you anything prettier looking?" You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that might be a misconception that you know people wouldn't necessarily know that we've came from that very very humble and very very practical, hands-on like Kyle as well. A lot of the guys will know. Uh, heads up on his lead, the tech support team. Yeah. He was an installer as well. You know, a few of our guys are yeah. uh, hands-on background for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, from my conversations with your team down through the years, I appreciate the fact that you're very tech support heavy yeah. as opposed to sales and marketing heavy. Yeah. Um, it's an unusual balance within the industry from the suppliers that I generally deal with through yeah. Blackbox. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit more? And yeah, sure. Um, why there? Why, why? I know it's all customer yeah. orientated, but maybe you might give us your thoughts on that, please. Well. We, so we, we've, we've struggled with this the same as all of our competitors and associates would where you've got a sales team and then you've got a tech support team. Mm -hmm. Sales team have got relationships with customers, face-to-face -face stuff, they like them, they get on and they sell product. Tech support team here sat there waiting for problems and all they get all day is a barrage of you know, negative stuff yeah. and, and complaints and you get a difference in morale between the two camps. And we, yeah. we battled with this for a long time. To how to, we don't want two camps, we want this to be one team. Sure. So there is no difference between tech support and sales. So starting to train up more our sales team to be more technical, yes. and then getting our technical team to be more sales is a challenge. And again, it came back to hiring, hiring for heart. I can train someone to be a tech support person, we can teach them the technical knowledge, but you can't teach heart. You either have it or you don't. Sure. So we've looked at that and we've looked at incentives. So a little tip for you know, this will help our competitors as well. You know, this is I a free like one, a free I one like for you guys. Competitors. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, so we've done a, an incentive scheme for the tech support guys, where if they are helping one of your customers to right now today mm -hmm. with a problem and they successfully solve the problem, they are allowed to ask for a rating between one and five stars. Sure. If they get a five-star rating from the customer for outstanding support, 
we pay them for that call. So they get their hourly rate plus a bonus of I think it's like three pounds per call. Okay. So some of these guys are making as much money as a sales guy now, okay. but they're doing a bloody amazing job. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Um, you spoke quite passionately about the heart of your employees and the team that's around you. Can you expand a little bit more on that for me? Define heart as you perceive it. I think it's what's in someone's soul. What, what, what do they stand for? And I don't mean in work. I mean, what does this human being stand for? What's their belief system? I don't mean religion. I mean their belief system. Do they believe in doing the right thing? Do they believe in helping people, giving something back? Do they believe in achievement? You know, you can't motivate someone who doesn't want anything out of life. It's, it's, you know, we're quite a driven uh, company of, of and, and fairly young people as well. I mean, um, average age, I'm going to say here is like mid to early 30s, probably, uh, even in management. Um, so, you know, we need to hire people that fit within that, that cultural space that get that, that are also trying to achieve something for themselves and want more out of life and and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think it's the number one thing and I think, I think it's becoming a bigger problem for people. I see a lot of our customers out there, install companies, talking about unable to get you know good staff. Um, and I think what they mean is they're struggling to get cultural fit, they're struggling maybe to get you know, people that are driven or have their belief system and stuff. So. It's going to become a bigger problem, I think, in the future, for sure. So politely, you're saying they may need to look at themselves first. Is that a bit harsh? Um, in some cases, potentially, yes. We all have to look at ourselves. You know, I've had to do that. Just actually, you know, we talked about this earlier as well, where I've just finished a 10-month-long leadership program. Um, and you might think, well, you've been doing this for 10, 15 years. Why now? Well, to me, every day is a school day. I, I do not know everything. In fact, I would say I know very little <laughs> about leadership, but I'm happy to learn more. And I think, you know, there, there's another mindset or heart thing that I believe in. I don't want people that are um, like, yeah, this is what we do and we've always done it this way. That's like not interested in that. I'm far more interested in trying something new, risky, different, edgy, color outside the lines is a phrase we use here a lot. So we're quite proud of that, to be, to be different and to be unique and, and not fit within a certain like, fixed mold and, and be a change catalyst. This year we just threw out, um, totally threw out our whole accounting system and our MRP system, all um, a, certain, a very long and old established brand and totally replaced it all with cloud-based stuff, you know, big brave uh, step, but that's what we do for sure. Uh, so Paul, um, why is the equipment you produce and the work that you do so important? Um, I, I guess from, you know, we talked about heart and a human perspective. I believe we're solving problems. You know, we're, we're making, if you think about the end use of our products, they're solving security problems, uh, making people feel safe, feel secure, um, giving them control. Um, I think that's, you know, a human side to the business. Um, the innovation that we do, is really, really important. Um, maybe one of the benefits we have of being in so many countries is we get little input ideas of innovation from different countries that you wouldn't normally see just in your own native market. For example, in the US market, um, it's quite common for a homeowner to say on a GSM-based intercom, I want to text every time my gates are open because I'm not there, I've got a pool guy, I've got a housekeeper, I've got a gardener. I know first world problems, right? But they want to know, oh, my gates were opened and stuff, and then if there's some unusual activity time, 
Uh, and that's where like time clock stuff came in in our cellular stuff where they wanted to say, well, my pool guy comes on a Wednesday between nine and one. I don't want him to be able to use his pin code any other time because he shouldn't, you know, what if he gives it to his mate down the pub? You know, he comes back at 3 a.m., you know, empty the, the garage, as they call it. Um, so that's driven a lot of ideas into product innovation that has given people stuff that they didn't know they wanted. You know, as Henry Ford said, if I had to ask people what they wanted, they'd have said faster horses. So sometimes we come out with an idea and people are like, whoa, <laughs> this is great. Didn't know we wanted that, but we do. Um, sure. So we're very grateful that we, we get customer feedback. And for me, that's why I still like going to exhibitions and going and visiting distributors and going to see installers in some countries as well, just to get face time with them, um, to actually get face-to-face -face critique and feedback. You know, we don't really like this about your product. Could you make it do that? You know, this would be easier. That screw's a bit footery. Could you make it bigger? Um, you get that sort of real, and it's really useful stuff, you know. It feels like, a, you know, sometimes you get beat up a little bit mm -hmm. sometimes, but it all then goes into making the product better for the customer. I'm really happy personally. You know, what gives me most joy of all is a customer calls us up to say, whoa, that's great. You guys were the first to do this. Absolutely wonderful. I don't know why no one else thought about this. That's why I do this. That is just the, the most fun that, that I could possibly have in a whole year is just to have something that's first. Perfect. Yeah, I subscribe. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, slightly different feel now. Um, I have a three-parter for you. What's the most important thing you've learned in your life? What was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? It's a good question for sure, but um, it's, it's got me thinking about very recent stuff that I've done on a leadership program. Okay. So being a company owner, as a lot of our audience will, will be perhaps, um, it's very easy to feel like you need to have all the answers. So all the problems come, the customers come to you, your staff come to you, the bank manager comes to you, the accountant, and it all sort of rests in your shoulders. So one thing that I've learned very recently is you don't need to always have all the answers. You don't look weak to your staff because you say, I don't know. In fact, it just, it looks authentic. Uh, it's believable, they'll say, okay. Um, and they'll actually maybe help you more. You know, if, if you look like you have all the answers, they just continue to ask all the questions. Sometimes, I don't know, what do you think we should do? It's actually a very, very powerful answer, a question with a question. So I've learned that pretty recently. What was my life like before? you know, overwhelmed is, is a thing you can get. Um, from having started to take these changes recently, I would say a little bit of freedom uh, comes from that and, and, and a new sense of faith in my team because you know what, um, when I've like delegated a lot more responsibility and said to people, you know, I actually don't know that, why don't you go find out? They've actually surprised me. Uh, these people have really, really stayed. Like I have a great team here. I believe heart and soul in the people I have. They're I would say the best team, but they've really, really stepped up even still and surprised me further, you know, and I didn't think you could get better, but you can. So I'd say that's been one of the biggest lessons I've learned, certainly in, in, in life generally. And, you know, that spills over into your home life as well. You know, when there's a problem with maybe daughter comes home from school and there's an issue with a teacher, you know, you don't always need to know, but you can sit down and talk about the problem and figure it out together. What? Do you perceive to be your unique skill um, or skills um, that have helped you on your path of success? Mm, unique. I wouldn't even say 
I have any skills of any sort, um, never mind a unique one. Um, but all joking aside, probably this is a strange one. I've been asked this before, and I would say my probably biggest strength is that I know my weaknesses and I'm really happy with them. Uh, I'm, I'm settled with them, I'm good with them. So it allows me to make good hiring decisions to hire for my weaknesses. So hire people that are strong and things I'm bad at. So I have very poor organizational skills, you know, very, you know, I'm not organized type of, type of a character. I like to just jump into different ideas and just go a million miles an hour, but not have a lot of structure. So you'll find my team are very structured, they're very organized, you know, and they, they, they make up for, for my shortcomings. So I'd say my biggest skill is, is perhaps, if I might be so arrogant to say so, is knowing my weaknesses. Okay. I don't know if that's an inverse answer, but it's what I believe for sure. It's definitely the truth, Paul. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I grant you that. Yeah. Um, you and I had spoke um, off camera about leadership, and I know it's... Um, for me, it was it, it's a bit of an ask personally. Yeah. Um, along the lines of probably what makes you think you're a leader, mm -hmm. um, but it's important in the scheme of what entrepreneurs do. Yeah, I'd really be interested to ask you to to flesh that out a little bit yeah. more, I, I, if you don't mind. Um, For sure. Yeah, leadership, please, Paul. So yeah, so um, you know, I was thinking, I'd be thinking about this a lot, um, especially this year, and I realized that no one ever wakes up one morning and saying, I want to be a leader. No child ever was asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, a leader. It doesn't happen. You, you become a leader. Um, and sometimes you, you become a leader even if you don't want to be one. It just kind of happens. You know, you fall into a position. We love people who um, maybe, like myself, were forced to go self-employed because of you know, employment shutdowns, you know, redundancies and stuff. So they didn't do it by choice. They just said I had to. Um, some people maybe have taken over a business from, you know, their second generation and they've kind of been thrust into it with, with you know, as a, as a family member. Um, so I, I don't think there's a such thing as a leader type. I think, I think we all have it in us. Um, and there's so, so many different types. I don't think there's just here's a leader and here's not a leader. I think... We can all be leaders, um, good, bad, and, and indifferent, but uh, I think it's just about playing on your strengths, leveraging your strengths. Um, and I use a phrase, what would even better look like? Sure. So if you're good at something, well, that's great, but how could you be even better than, at, at that? And something that you're, you're crap at, just forget it. What, what's the point in beating your head off a brick wall to try and be good at something you're awful at when you could just hire for that and empower someone else to do like accounts or something together? Like, oh my God, no. I don't even want to see our accounts like just let someone else do that stuff. I'll focus on the fun R&D and all that sort of stuff. Do what I'm good at. Um, because I think if you take a weakness, let's say there's a particular trait and you're only 10%, right? That's your number. That's where you're at with this weakness. Trying to get that to 15% could be an extreme amount of effort and you still only went from 10 to 15%. But maybe take something you're 80% that you're really good at. You can get that to 90 with ease because it's already a skill and you can just tweak it. Um, so I, I think there's no such thing as a leader. I think we can all be leaders if we want to. Um, and it's just about leverage and strengths, I think. Paul, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? I suppose when I'm having fun, um, 
you know, if you look at our, we did a, so we did a survey with all our staff and asked them to give us words that represent our current company culture. Like um, if it's ambitious or positive or stressful, whatever the, whatever the words are. So we collated that, uh, we looked at that, and we tabulated it to see what the, the top six were. And then we asked another question, what do you want it to be? And we tabulated that. We took the top six. We put that on like a wall graphic and published it and stuff. Customers and stuff have seen this. But I added one of my own in there, right, as the business owner. And I was surprised it wasn't already, it didn't make the short list. I added fun as the top one because I think when you're having fun, that's where the magic happens. If you love what you do, you've heard it before, you'll never work a day in your life. So this to me is my hobby. Um, and believe it or not, if I wasn't having fun doing this, if I woke up tomorrow morning and this wasn't good, yeah, I just turned the key in the door. Sorry, folks, we're going to truck on. Um, I'm going to do something else. It's, it's, it's finished. So having fun inspires me. Um, achieving things inspires me. You know, I had a very wise grandmother, a real philosopher in her day. She said, if you can, you should. So her, suppose, uh, you know, belief system in life was you shouldn't waste an opportunity. If, if there's something you can do, you should do it. So if you could be number one in cycling, you know, be number one in cycling, but just don't like let that opportunity slip by because you've got a life, it's a gift, make it count. You know, the egg timers spun over here, it's the sands rattling away. I figure I'm 42, so I'm about halfway through, perhaps. I'm shooting for 90, though. Um, well, but that good lady was 103, I yeah, think. Yeah, so. yeah, my, my great aunt. Um, so you've got like a certain amount of time left. What are you going to spend it on? And what are you going to achieve in that time? I think what inspires me is goals and, and, and objectives. So they're not like corporate goals of X amount of million turnover and this, that, and the other. It's like life goals. I want to go and see this country. I want to go there. I want to do this with my kids. Um, took a flying lesson there for the first time, which actually was really, really cheap. It's like cheaper than night out, who knew? Um, and I thought, well, that's fun. That's a good thing to tick off the box to say you've got a pilot's license, like why not? It would make it easier for you to come over to Carlisle and <laughs> to visit, visit me. Yeah, <laughs> if you've got a field nearby, we can, yeah, you know, not like a drug dealer field, but no, you know. <laughs> definitely no drug dealing. Yeah, no. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, an old chestnut. Um, uh, if you could turn back the time and talk to your 18-year-old self, mm. what would you tell yourself? Um, listen more in school. So I, I definitely would be um, on the ADHD spectrum. Both my kids are officially diagnosed. And I was looking out the window dreaming of, I was away, I was like 10 years ahead thinking of, of the future instead of the here and now. Um, and if I could talk to my 18-year-old self or any 18-year-old now out there, you know, get into the game, you know, get refocused. You know, if you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, rules for success, you know, when you're out there partying and horsing around, he said, someone out there is getting smarter, stronger, faster, leaner, quicker when you're partying around. So, yeah, you got to have fun when you're young, but you should have fun your entire life. And if you knuckle in hard and, you know, make it count, you know, you'll have much more fun later on, but just don't, like, just don't waste it. Don't waste those young years and think, ah, sure, I'm young, I have plenty of time. No, you don't. And you don't know what time you've got, so make it count, get in there. I would have, I would have worked harder in school. I was a midstream student because I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, kind of like drifting off to the future too much instead of, you know, what was right in front of me, for sure, so. And finally, what is your best tip 
for aspiring entrepreneurs that uh, are good enough to tune in and listen to us too? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And I've, I've, I've done like seminars um, with schools here locally where my old secondary school asked me to come in and do careers talks and stuff. Uh, I don't know if there was any wisdom in what I said, but anyway, they asked me for sure. And I can remember asking all the kids, put your hand up if you think you're going to get like A's, you know, straight A's. So a number of kids put their hands up and I'm like, great, you guys are going to be scientists, doctors, lawyers, wonderful, you're going to have a good standard of income, great. Put your hand up if you're going to get mid grades, like, you know, sort of C's and D's and stuff. So like bigger group put their hand up kind of sheepishly and I'm like, you guys will be okay too. Some of you will have regular jobs. Some of you will get into trades and actually do quite well. And some of you will start companies and employ those really smart people up at the front and they're going to make you millions. And the teachers were like, what? He said, what? But it's so true. Um, entrepreneurship is not an option that's presented to school kids today. It's just like, um, you know, go to university and get a good job or leave school and go work in a factory or be a tradesperson and get a trade. But actually, there's another option out there. You know, start a business, change the world make people's lives better, get fulfillment, employ people, do something for your community. You know, that's all down the entrepreneurship route and they don't talk about that because they don't, they don't really know much about it and it's, it's, it's a big option for sure. And there's, there's so many kids out there that struggle with the academics and could be amazing entrepreneurs. I mean, people like Bill Gates and, you know, different notable ones who are like, you know, graduate or university dropouts and stuff, they say, um, oh, we just need to think a bit more about that. It's not the be-all and end-all. I'll leave you with a quick story. We have um, a guy who came here to work in, in the factory, a production job, just like a kind of an operator job. And I was in the interviews at this time because I like to talent spot sometimes. And I was asking this guy, right, okay, yeah, great. All the official questions are out of there. What are you into? What do you like? What do you love? What's your hobby? What makes you tick? And this guy says to me that, um, you know, I would go on eBay and find broken electric guitars. He used to play in a band. He'd find these, you know, ones that aren't working anymore, not functional. He would buy them, repair them and sell them and turn a small profit. And I was like, really? And what else? And he said, well, you know, I, um, you know, friends and different people I would know locally would get me to fix computers and stuff for them. And I was like, when can you start? So he started in production. And this guy, before we got him, was just, he was a carpet fitter. He fitted carpet, no qualifications, left school when he was 16, carpet fitter for 20 years, but had these passions, right? And this is what we were talking about earlier, about heart, what's in someone's heart, what's in their belief system. But I could see this guy had heart for something. He now develops all our apps, and he just moved to Florida to uh, represent AES, to do tech support stateside on a five-year visa program. So poor guy sunning it up in you know, the Sunshine State in Florida. You know, hard, hard paper around his head for sure. Sure. Um, but, and no qualifications, zero. But he's done this, um, and it's, it's him that's done it, not me. I've just provided some opportunities. He's the one that took them for sure. So this guy would have been sitting developing apps at, at night at home uh, on the laptop and then coming in and showing me, like, we could do this and this and this. And whoa. Yeah. So it was an autodictat, self-learned. Yeah, self-learned, yeah. Don't underestimate that for sure. Sure. Uh, Paul, how do people connect with AES and, and, and engage with your company? Well, I, I guess um, people can connect with, you know, we've got area sales reps, we've got our website, aesglobalonline.com, you've got great distributors like Blackbox and lots of others that um, 
um, out there as well. Um, you know, people can connect with me as well personally, and, and, and people regularly do. You'll get me on LinkedIn mostly, um, even on a Sunday where I'm like kind of bored, so like I'll, I'll chuck stuff up there. Um, so feel free to, to reach out and message, connect with me on LinkedIn for sure. Um, follow our feeds. You know, we'd be on Twitter, even Instagram and stuff as well these days. And you know, there's email addresses, stuff on the website. And of course, as I say, the local uh, area seals reps, and they're all on the website as well, so you can see who all our people are, the photographs and kind of their, their territorial uh, reach and stuff as well, so. Okay. So. Um, Mr. Paul Creighton, thank you very much. Thank for you very time, much, sir. thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. So that was Paul from AES Global, a very insightful interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, at this point, I'd like to thank Paul and his team and also everyone for listening. And just a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Black Box Security Solutions, a leader in supplying access control equipment in Ireland and the UK. And for further information, please log on to blackboxsecuritysolutions.co.uk. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and like. And um, we look forward to the very next one. Thank you again for your time. I am your host, Pori Canavan and we will be doing this on a regular basis.